Hello everybody, welcome to Stable and Able, and I am your host, Karen Wickian. And I'm your host, Brenda Nickel. Coming to you from beautiful Bolton, Ontario, Canada. Northside. Northside. Yeah. I don't know what that means, but I'll I'll take the word that that's an important thing to know about Bolton. Well, it is if you live on the north side. <laughs> <laughs> All right then, we'll just leave it at that. There you go. So, so we're back with part two um, of the interview with Anne-Marie Coolen, talking about her experiences as a parent of a child with anorexia and the journey she went on and what she had learned. And I'll tell you, she blew my mind. Yes, absolutely. She was so forthcoming. Um, nothing was off topic with her. She was so open. It, it was a wonderful experience. It really was. Absolutely. And I think that's why we thought it was important that we pretty much put the entire interview in there. There wasn't really much to edit out. No, not at all. So where we're going to leave you guys right now, or where we're going to start, is just a little tiny bit of where we left off before, so you can get uh, back into it with ease. So here we go. Here's part two of the interview with Anne-Marie Coolen. And here we go. Enjoy. Enjoy. You know, you're not good. You're right. not good. Right. Um, yeah. yeah. There's you're, a lot you're, of... Um, me. You're, not, you're not doing well. Yeah. No. You can't be in that situation, right. but you, you get there, you get there. And, you know, for me, the self-care that parents need to practice and carers need to practice isn't the version of self-care that I call self-soothing, right? It's not a bubble bath, right? Self-care is hunkering down and doing things that builds your resilience to be able to, you know, walk over this bed of coals. Uh, because it does take a long time. My daughter was ill for years with this and it's a long, it's a marathon. And so you need to find the tools that will help you to build your resilience to the disappointments of a relapse and the fear. Yes. Um, you know, I think about how the pandemic affected us in the sense that we now had something new to be afraid of that we've never been afraid of before right and now all of a sudden grocery shopping had a layer of fear that we've never experienced before right. and just the weight of that fear on our lives and how it rewired our brains in ways i don't even think we talk about unfortunately but when you're in a state of fear of your child you know um Worse than dying from the disease, the idea of watching your child potentially live this fraction of their life and be in that kind of pain forever. Because, you know, the research on recovery um, is, is there isn't a lot of it. Um, and, you know, the media and culture, you know, one of the beliefs is that you have it, you have it for life, which I don't agree with at all. Um, and so this idea that she might die from this. And I remember one, I remember one time thinking, I wish she'd get a boyfriend that was, so she would go out and maybe do something really reckless, a boyfriend with a motorcycle and they have a tragic accident and she died in a motorcycle accident. I would have preferred that to her dying from starvation, from oh. dying from this disease. Oh my goodness. Um, yeah, and I would say 
My absolute darkest moment was one night when I just could not wrap my head around the pain that she was in anymore. I just, I was so exhausted from watching her suffer that I thought, you know what, if we can't crack the code and we can't get her recovered and she's this sick for years on end, that's unacceptable. And I came up with this idea, well, here's a note. You can kill her and kill yourself. Oh, and I was soothed by that totally insane thought. Right. Right. The disease and had I never told both of you. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I, I couldn't even tell my husband that I'd had that thought because then I knew he was going to be even more worried than he was about worried the situation. About, yes, so, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, where your mind goes when you're stretched in those ways yeah. is, um, you know, it's pretty darn interesting and challenging. What? Wow. I mean, like, like I just like the disease ravaged you both to the point that that seemed like, you know, an alternative to watching, you know, a, a slow death. Um, yeah. In the what the, the this immense pain that you were both going through. Um, yeah, that just uh, I'm just thinking like it goes against every instinct, but that at that point it must have. I can understand why you, why you thought that, or maybe I can't understand it, but I can be um, empathetic towards it. Because to me, that doesn't sound, it's awful. And I can't even imagine how you felt thinking that way, but I don't know. I It just, this this disease, it's, it ravages you, ravages your daughter. And yeah, that just really... Uh, I'm sorry that that both of you had gone through that. What was the breaking point or the the thing that that led to the the recovery that she's had now? Like was there a moment was there something that led to like maybe a hospitalization or something between an, the two of you? An aha moment yeah. or what was it? <laughs> Or was so, there? I mean, because you went through so she, many ups and downs. Yes. So she was diagnosed at 15. And we were just two weeks shy of her 19th birthday when an event occurred. And what had happened in the intervening years was because we were able to keep her weight restored, and when she relapsed and lost the weight, I, you know, got her weight restored pretty quickly every time. So her brain and body had the opportunity to continue grow and develop. Okay. Because when the disease is active, it stalls um, social, emotional, and physical development. Um, so, you know, you'll often see people with an eating disorder behave very immaturely, and it's part of the malnutrition in the brain not growing. They haven't, they really haven't developed yet fully. So one of the things that, um, you know, one of the psychiatrists said was that they believe that if you can keep your child fed, your anorexic child fed till they're 18, their brain kind of outgrows the ability to restrict. Mm, wow. 
And that seemed to be what happened with her that every time she relapsed and was re-nourished, her ability to restrict was diminished and she had to work harder to restrict. Whereas the first time she didn't have to work that hard to restrict, like it was just turned on in her brain and she was able to do it. And then slowly she found it harder and harder to restrict. But by this time, she'd had, you know, four years of using eating disorder behaviors as mm-hmm. her coping mechanism mm-hmm. and she wasn't ready to let them go so then she started developing other disordered eating behaviors to compensate for her inability to restrict and she developed what's called purging disorder where um she was purging she was eating and purging and she and it's a little different from bulimia because she wasn't binging she was just purging what she would eat so she had taught herself through the help of her friends on the internet how to purge and uh, she was experimenting with purging and um, she was really really struggling with the purging and uh, I think at her worst you mean like uh, purging like using um, diuretics or laxatives or eating and then um, self-induced vomiting or exercising yeah, for her, she was kind of doing all three exercising, diuretics, and vomiting. But um, the vomiting became her go to because the vomiting produces endorphins right. in the same way as when you have, you know, when you have pain, right? Your brain produces endorphins to fight the pain. So when you go through the trauma of vomiting, your body produces, you get a little high from it afterward. So then that became, um, you know, and that sense of relief of uh, not feeling full uh, was extremely comforting to her. So I think at her worst, she was like purging. Oh, and then what is that? And then that's furthermore um, destruction of the body. Yeah, and destruction in kind of different ways from the malnutrition. So now, you know, the malnutrition affects everything. Uh, but now the, the vomiting affects, you know, teeth and certainly heart, it's hard on the heart. And so she always had swollen glands and, you know, big chipmunk look and, um, uh, particular, you know, around the eyes, um, there were lots of signs of the purging and also it messes with the brain, like it creates, you know, electro problems with electrolytes and all kinds of things. And whereas before with the anorexia, there wasn't depression there was a numbness but it wasn't like depression whereas with the purging it was creating depression where she couldn't get out of bed and she hated herself and so you know anorexia is what they call ego syntonic which means that the person's ego gets very attached to the disease and they don't want to get rid of it most diseases are ego dystonic most of us want to get rid of any disease we have and we hate it and certainly, you know, purging behaviors is one of those things that, you know, people um, want to stop doing and want to get rid of as soon as they can. So now she's got this other, you know, these other psychological symptoms that are the result of this purging behavior and physiological symptoms. So things were quite bad. And um, I convinced her to go to um, the ER because she had been on... Um, a drug. Um, it was, you know, an antidepressant, but it was also for compulsive behavior and she wanted to come off of it. 
And so I used the ruse of saying to her, I don't know how to help you to taper. I think we should go to Emerge and get their advice on how to taper off of this drug that you're on. And she, for some reason, fell for it. I, I was kind of surprised that she did. Because by this point, I could see she had become suicidal. She was cutting. Um, I had seen um, stuff again. My husband has the, had the technical ability to spy on all of her um, computer behavior. So I was seeing, uh, you know, she'd written her epitaph and, you know, she was really in a bad, 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 hard place. And she didn't want to live anymore. And it was quite clear to me. So I took her to Emerge and uh, they said, well, you know what? Uh, we've got somebody else coming in so we can't really see you for five hours do you want to come back in five hours and she said yes which surprised me so i said okay well let's we went to kill some time and we went back to er and about 10 minutes before the appointed time she started to say you know what let's go home i'm okay I don't think I need to be here. I'm taking up resources. I mean, she's so rational. You can't argue with anything yeah. these kids say. Mm -hmm. They're so brilliant. And, you. <laughs> and, and, and so I thought, okay, what am I going to do to get her to stay? So I knew we had had many arguments before about me reading her journals and invading her privacy and how this was the big thing she hated the most. And I promised not to do it ever again, lied every time I did. Um, so I you know, found this journal, horrible journal. So I said to her, listen, I know how sick you are because I read your journal. And I knew this was going to trigger her. I knew she was going to like lose it. And she jumped up and she's looked at me face to face and she was screaming at me in the ER, the children's hospital <laughs> and swearing. And I knew she was going to have a meltdown. Man, they came out lickety split and grabbed her and took her into a, a room, to, you know, to protect the other people, poor people yeah. in the waiting room. But what happened was when they took her in that time, she didn't go into a normal ER exam room. She went into the room that they have for people who are having, you know, psychiatric problems. Locked which down she there? had never been in before. Was she in one of the, the lockdown rooms? Um, yes, it was a lockdown room. I guess that's what you would call it, but she had never seen it before. So um, I can speak from like having worked in the ER for a, a long time that those rooms are terrifying because once you're in it, you have very stark, I mean, you're looking at a bed and that's in a side table, maybe depending on how you are, if you're going to drink or take anything, we stand right there, not unkindly, but it's yes. that and then it's being in this prison and you've got a security guard or you've got someone there or and you've got monitors watching you i by accident got locked into a room at <laughs> one time yeah i was i was cleaning it out um getting it ready for someone new and the security guard just walked <laughs> he went to the bathroom or something and the door closed and i'm standing there going this is what it must feel like mm -hmm. and i know that I'm going to be out of this room in five minutes or or whatever, because I had one of our phones, but I kind of stood there and allowed myself to feel it. Hopefully, so I could be more, a better nurse for these patients that are in there. So if that's the case, if she was in this situation, that's terrifying because you, you have zero control over anything. There's someone literally controlling when you can come and go eat drink everything yeah and if that's 
where she was for a little while, I can't even imagine on top of everything else, how terrifying that would have been for her. Yeah, and I didn't have the impression that she was terrified. Okay. Um, and, and during the next, you know, couple of hours, um, she wouldn't let me in. And so I couldn't talk to her. There was a social worker going between her and her dad and I. And we were saying one story. She was giving the social worker another story. And let me tell you, <laughs> my daughter sounds very rational and logical. So the social worker <laughs> saying, you know, mom and dad, you just need to let her be independent. You need to let her make her own decisions. She sounds like social she said, I said, that? you know what? Oh, yeah. I said, oh. you have fallen for for her and what she's saying. And I can tell you. And she would not believe me. So I had taken screenshots of the stuff that she had been posting on some of her social media sites. And let me tell you, back then, there was no Instagram. There was no TikTok. I mean, we're talking pretty mild social media, but it was still very dangerous. So I showed her some of the po posts and the social worker said, well, that sounds nothing like what she's been saying to me. I said, yeah, uh-huh. Get it. She's lying. It's not us. They're oh, lying. Of course that have been so slammed then... on you. Oh, it's <laughs> so but they be then, become uh... like master manipulators though, right? Oh, so good. So, so good. then you have to become one in a sense yourself, did you find? Totally. To sort of totally. Out yeah. Oh, player. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Player. Yeah, you do. Um, so eventually figured out that the social worker was on to her as well. And so we kind of between the, the two parties with the social worker came up with a, a contract, a bit of a health contract for going home. This is what she would do. This is what we would do. And we worked together on that. And when we got home that night, I could tell something had changed in her, just the way she talked and all this sort of stuff. And I said, what is different? what is different? You're different. She said, mom, did you see the room they put me in? <laughs> I said, no. Why? She said, oh, wow. there were two things in that room, a bed and a camera on me. And she said, I looked around and I thought to myself, I don't want to be this person anymore. No way. Wow. So she was, you know, old enough now, she was just shy of her 19th birthday. She had enough life experience to go, I want more. And the minute she decided she wanted to recover, because these kids are exceptional kids. All, every child I've met who has anorexia is exceptionally, exceptionally smart, exceptionally kind, exceptionally insightful and really smart and they have these brains that when they put that brain power on recovery there's they no do stopping it. them there's when no they put that them. brain power on restricting they do it there's no stopping them right yeah. and so once she decided that she wanted recovery then things started you know really gathering steam and moving and she was basically able to stop the eating disorder behaviors herself with very little support she That's did that incredible. herself now sorry case we're just it, there's just so much <laughs> today have you seen long-term effects with your daughter because of what she went through for those four or five years 
Yeah, um, there's a few things. Um, to begin with, in the early years of her recovery, she still was catching up socially and emotionally. Um, and uh, I remember talking to her, she was going to university and she said, mom, I feel like I'm acting like a high school kid. And I said, well, honey, that's because you are, because when you were in high school, you weren't developing those skills. So yes, you are. But I said, I think, you know, it'll all level out. You'll get there. Don't worry about it. Uh, now she has some physical um, problems that I suspect stem back to uh, the eating disorder. Uh, she has some gastro problems that they can't get to the root of. Um, it, it, it seems a bit like gastroparesis a little bit, but they haven't been able to, you know, find a cause. And she's had some tests. And um, I just think she's really kind of messed up her whole digestive system. Okay. Her teeth took a real um, hit, of course. and. Um, I suspect she probably would have fertility problems oh. um, from from the, the malnutrition and, and she's had a lot of um, fibro, um, I forget what it's called, but she's had some problems there and had to have a few treatments. So things like that. But the other really interesting wrinkle in all of this that was at the age of 25, she was diagnosed as being autistic, mm. which we did not know. We ha I had no inkling whatsoever um, about this. And um, so some of, and people who have autism have, have health problems. It really, it's not just a brain thing. It affects their bodies. And, so one of the things is that the way she responds to medications is completely different from people who aren't neurodiverse. Um, so um, that explains why the drugs they tried, like she went on a drug fairly early on in her treatment. It was an antipsychotic, no, a fluoxetine. And she was like manic within a day of, you know, that drug so she has a real sensitivity to some drugs they affect her very very intensely but yet you know over-the-counter medications hardly work for her at all like an analgesic won't work for her. so she's got this different kind of uh wiring with respect to pharmaceuticals and i don't know if her gastro problems are part of the autism or are part of the eating so we can't tease it out but i have certainly spoken to parents who have adult children who have had pretty serious 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 debilitating um long-term uh, damage done to their body from from that but this is why if you can catch catch your kid when they're young and you know just get them through it in the, the short of the time that they're Do you think doing the damage better she um the autism you were unable to diagnose it because of what she was going through like the her like some of her, her behaviors and behaviors yeah. yeah like her no the autism autism doesn't get diagnosed in girls at the same rate that it gets diagnosed in boys and many girls um are, are higher functioning in the sense that um yeah you know girls have different communication capacities than than boys anyway so they're able to mimic communicating 
um, more easily and they're able to mask their diversity um, more easily, I think. So, um, and, and when I think about her anxiety um, as a kid and as a teenager, I now attribute that to the autism because she felt like she didn't fit in anywhere. Mm-hmm. And and she would often say that to me, and it, it was a little unrelatable to me because I knew how wonderful she was. I knew her friends really loved her and stuff. So I wasn't understanding that that those um, reflections that she was giving to me. But now I see them through this lens of the autism. She didn't fit in. She she was different, and she knew she was different. And you know, she told me recently. She said, "Mom." a person will clock you as neurodiverse in about 10 seconds of a conversation. And she said, and I can see the minute they've clocked me really? and I can see them shift in the way they communicate with me. So mm-hmm. she said, I'm always masking. I'm always on my guard and trying not to let that show. She said, she said, I mask so much that when I come home to my dog, I'm masking for my dog. and this is fairly common now some of the traits that tend to um, appear in people who develop anorexia some of the cognitive traits that people with anorexia share are definitely cognitive traits that are in people who are neurodiverse so the ability to do a deep dive into a subject and um you know she she would become obsessed with whatever she was interested in like for a year it was bats and she knew everything there was to know about bats and when the anorexia came up she was able she has this brain that she could do this deep dive and she would know the nutritional analysis of every food on a buffet if she walked in there she could tell you how many calories carbs fat everything um, and her brain could just retain the stuff. So when she went to university and she did science degrees, her ability to memorize and this stuff is just quite exceptional. She's too and I think that's part good. of it. <laughs> well, so, you know, the behaviors and, and I mean, when she developed the anorexia, she was going to be the best anorexic on the planet. Of right? Um, and she of had the capacity to do it. So you know, one of the things people with anorexia are deficient in is this brain function called set shifting, where you can approach a problem and then realize that approach isn't working and you can shift to another approach. But she couldn't. She would just keep going at it the same same okay. way. And, um, you know, as I said, the corollary to that is she could do a deep dive in a problem. Right? right and really examine it from all the angles but she wasn't going to change her approach to it the other function that seems to be deficient in people with anorexia is something called central coherence where it's the ability to zoom out and see the big picture which uh-huh. she couldn't do so you know if she was presented with an avocado all her brain could see was 50 grams of fat, 50 grams yeah. of fat, alert, right. alert. Calories, and calories. she couldn't see that that fat was really good for her. And it was, you know, it's actually nature's perfect fat delivery system. And avocado is such a work of art and beauty, but she couldn't see any of those things because her brain would only zero in on that sort of stuff. You know, those traits, you can see how they interweave um, and perpetuate uh, the patterning that um, the kids yeah. develop with the restriction. I, I think that's what I was trying to 
trying to ask, and you've said it so eloquently, <laughs> was that the, the the neurodivergence of I don't think I said that word right of of the anorexia and the autism. They 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 were similar. Is, is that right? Like you know the the some of the traits you see in people with anorexia share some of the traits with with people that have autism and if you're autistic and you have anxiety sorry anorexia it does it help the disease sort of yeah i think um and i can't speak for everyone with autism that was just what i saw and heard mm. and uh you know i think autism what i've read recently is that they're trying to get away from this idea that it's a spectrum of of traits it's a cloud right and you might have these three traits and someone else with autism might have those three traits right so not everybody is going to be exactly the same um but hers presents as this ability you know to do a deep dive and to not get distracted from a deep dive on okay. something she's laser focused on laser focused yeah and how are how are you doing right now talking about this or you know you it's funny i get so ramped up i get i i get uh juiced up when i'm talking about this um you can tell. And i have not figured out what that is in me um just the ability to share this information with people who want to listen mm -hmm. um and for people who it will be helpful Right. is um a special kind of uh buzz yeah well i was wondering because your terminology i guess is the best way to put it like i thought mom before your daughter became ill did you ever think you would be talking like this and you sound like a doctor sometimes <laughs> and you, you you sound better than than <laughs> some of these social workers or these doors that were slammed on you and, and that sort of thing. It's, it's remarkable. I went through EAP to find a counselor for myself when my daughter was first diagnosed. And so I was referred to a psychologist and um, within a half hour, I mean, I was only literally six weeks into this journey when I saw her and within a half hour it became clear that I knew more about this than she did oh, yeah. and um, she even you know admitted that to me and so uh, I realized then that, that um, the level of knowledge of people is so minuscule compared to you know this is a really complex disease what doctors are taught going through school is, is a tiny bit but what i was taught when i went through school uh, was barely touched on and so like when i worked in the er the only thing that i really learned is when we actually would have a patient in with it with, with a eating disorder and even then we were scrambling just to stabilize them but still that doesn't give us really a heck of a lot of information background or background because all i knew at that point is that we need to make her or him or her stable and so that's a real disservice to the people that have eating disorders in the medical community that there's not enough education like how do you leave such a severe 
illness out of out of your curriculum out of your curriculum i have hard times with words sometimes and so that just it, it sounds like that's been your experience well you know i have the benefit of having worked in a university okay. and so i have some understanding of how curriculum is developed and designed and how topics you know get into curriculum and so I have a lot of um, sympathy for if you're designing, um, you know, an MD program, what are you going to include in that curriculum? In a nursing program, what are you going to include and how much are you going to include and how how much is that changing what a moving target it is? Um, it's not easy. So then, you know, you've got this... Um, supposedly psychological condition called an eating disorder that you know the prevalence of it is understood to be minuscule which i think is highly erroneous but if if you know if you're looking at it and going okay like 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 0.05% of the population gets an eating disorder it's not going to be covered like diabetes or geez, even lyme disease um so I understand why, partly why it's not. The the other thing I say about eating disorders is that they're like the politically most incorrect disease to get because first of all, they're misunderstood and they're thought the prevalence is low and they're thought that it's, you know, a disease of choice and that it's uh, white affluent girls that get it. Um, and then um, it's extremely complex. It's got this medical side. It's got this psychological side. So it's really hard to do and to do well. Mm -hmm. And who wants to get into a business where you can't treat people successfully, right? Mm -hmm. Like why, why would you, you know, sign up to put yourself through that particular kind of torture? It doesn't get enough research. It doesn't get enough um, funding for research, funding for programs. Um, and the whole medical system is you know, kind of confined by this concept of evidence-based. And so the family-based treatment is the only treatment for kids under 18 that's been researched to the point where there is evidence to support its efficacy. There's no other treatments that has had this much research, but the success rate with FBT is only 50%. And then there's no second line treatment available that has any evidence. So it's a real kind of catch 22. Um, <clears throat> there's no, you know, pharmaceuticals uh, haven't, you know, haven't come up with um, any, any drugs that are, were designed and <clears throat> developed specifically for eating disorders. Any drugs that are used in this treatment, it's, it's a, you know, off, I don't know what to call it off label <clears throat> use, you know, mostly there's a few of them for uh, compulsive behaviors. Um, so I understand why we're in such a limited position and I'm hopeful that things are moving in a much <clears throat> better direction. Um, the pandemic caused a tsunami of eating disorders. You know, some people are saying it's a shadow pandemic of eating disorders that was created by. So just the sheer volume of people who are presenting with eating disorders is going to have an impact on people's understandings of it. But if I could just say one thing to help parents be aware 
of this and catch it early, it would be, if I could make one change to the medical system, it would be that kids' growth charts be plotted and monitored till they're 18. Okay. Because, you know, like they do that for kids from zero to three, right? In Nova Scotia, GPs do that from zero to three. They're always watching to see, is this kid growing and thriving in the way that you would expect? Right. Apparently, right. pediatricians do it to age 10, which is great, but parents can do it themselves. And if they did it till they were 18 and they normalized this idea that you are supposed to be growing. And... I would have seen that my daughter had fallen off her growth curve 10 months before she was hospitalized. Wow. Well, that's 10 months. That's wow. 10 months of hardcore restricting behaviors getting hardwired into her brilliant mind. Right. Well, and I think 10 months of suffering. That's, that's a long time. <laughs> that's a long time. Um, and what what damage it's doing overall overall and it must mm. be even more difficult to treat as the time goes on so Anne marie you just keep doing what you're doing we're doing i don't know with whether Kay's i wasn't part of the conversation that you two had a week ago or so um we're doing a series on eating disorders and this was our our first choice so we're going to do our little bit that that we can to to get people educated and to have more knowledge about this and get rid of the stigma of this disease and the seriousness of it. Is there anything, I mean, that you want to add or recap with, though, I mean, I the growth chart is is a brilliant thing for parents to to use as a, as a tool. It sounds yeah, like it. I was dying to know what you were going to say. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, that's, that there's, it's not, it's irrefutable. It's right there in black and white. Yeah. But is there anything else that you want to, to add, like, feel free to promote your, um, the organization you work for or the books that you have read or, or you can just, even if you want, send me information and I can include it in the show notes, but is there anything that you'd like to, to sum everything up here with or or leave a message for people oh so many things um it kind of depends on who your audience is if your audience is parents then you know uh i would you know go down one road if your audience is people with eating disorders you know i might you know take a different approach so um Basically, if I think as parents, there are some traits that, you know, people with anorexia all seem to share. And so if you were, you know, aware of some of these traits and just because they have the traits doesn't mean they're going to develop anorexia. But if you see these traits, then you can um, counter um, them in some helpful ways. So for example, if your child is extremely perfectionistic or even a little bit perfectionistic because really perfectionism doesn't serve anybody. But if you have a perfectionistic child, then the activities that, that you want to avoid are activities where they are judged 
like skating, like ballet, like dance, um, and instead put them in activities that are refereed for sports, right? Um, because they are less judging on the way you look. Um, you know, there are activities that um, help to counter perfectionism, you know, um, being around animals, gardening, um, you know, just fun stuff. Um, you know, those sorts of things. If you have a child like mine who can do this deep dive and, you know, get really fixated on things, then that might be a sign that the part of her brain that would allow her to shift isn't as well developed as the part of her brain that allows her to go deep. And there are some games that you can um, play to help build neurons to build up set shifting capacity. Um, so be looking for those kinds of things. There's one that it used to be an app, uh, but I, I don't think it's available anymore. And then it was like a board game is called set. And um, it. I hated it because I'm probably not good at set shifting either. But so there are ways <laughs> to look at these traits. <laughs> and, um, you know, um, kind of balance them out. Most kids with anorexia are what are called super feelers. Like they're really sensitive to their emotions and other people's emotions. So if you've got a kid that's a super feeler, which my daughter was, and I'm not so much like, man, yeah, I probably don't feel enough. Some people might tell you that about me, but she was like don't really that sensitive. For a minute. And no, it's true. I really, I'm just, you know, I, I don't, I run more on logic and data than I run on, you know, Myers-Briggs, I, I know from that sort of stuff. So, but if you've got a child who's a super feeler, then you can help them um, to learn how to manage and self-regulate their emotions. Uh, one of the things I did with my daughter was when she would get all intense and emotional about something, I was so worried for her in that state. It was hard for me to see her worked up emotionally. So I was frantically trying to distract her. Uh, oh, maybe they didn't mean to say that thing to you. Maybe they meant, you know, I like to like, minimize it or try to get her to shift and see it a different way. Uh, instead of just saying to her, oh my gosh, that must be really horrible. That must be scary for you. And let her feel her feelings and experience riding the wave of the feeling coming down the other side. Yes. Right? Yeah. So there are these things that you can help kids with um, that are protective factors, not just for anorexia, but for, you know, everything in life. Um, if your kid has food rules, right, that's a sign that something is going on for them around food. They are using food in a way that you maybe don't. And so ask them, like, oh, I noticed you do that. You know, tell me more about what, why you do that and what happens when you do that. And try to, like, if I had known my daughter was, had that food rule about not eating <laughs> twice as many things as somebody else, I definitely would have asked her about it had I known. Um, you know, and then the whole thing about body dissatisfaction, you know, there's some really good work around how to help kids, um, you know, get over that kind of thinking. And it comes back to our earlier conversation about needing approval, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just pay attention to these things and 
get them off of social media. I don't know. I can't even imagine how hard that is, but it is a cesspool. It and is my daughter to this day oh, says play. to me, mom, tell those parents to get their kids off of social media. Well, I mean, the expectations change so rapidly and the message is so negative and horrible that, you know, as a teenager, like you said, your hormones are all over the place, your, your thinking, your everything that's going on is all over the place and you just want to fit in. And then you see all these influencers, which I, I hate that. And, and just people in general saying, judging you when you don't even know you. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And you're you're just I can't imagine myself as a teenager today today yeah you know um no, no it's, it's an absolute cesspool perfect perfect way of putting it and the other thing we didn't touch on that you know needs to be said is we need to understand especially as parents how diet culture has affected us and how it's um, you know turning up in our family situation yeah and. Um, you know, I had a really weird relationship with food from early childhood because of something that happened to me. And I worked very hard not to bring that to my, my family situation. Um, but I inadvertently created some, um, weird ideas about food with my daughter. (laughs) because oh, I used to we used to go grocery shopping and she would I she'd want to pick up the cereal and I and I taught her to look at um how much sugar was in the cereal and that it had to have below a certain number of grams of sugar in order for it to be a breakfast cereal and so she took that information and ran with it as in sugar is bad and what she didn't know was that for me I knew she was going to get all kinds of sugar all day long. I just didn't want her to have it for breakfast, but I didn't really care about sugar. (laughs) But I never thought to explain that to her in that way. Being a loving Um, parent, trying to teach. I mean, we ourselves have gone through families where, I mean, eating has just been, you know, it's all about the way you look. And then eating, restricting, eating, restricting. Obviously, nowhere. I mean, fad diets, up and down, up and down. Yeah. And just us living with that without having the anorexic brain fueling it just the damage it's done to us you know um and just yeah and it seeps out in families in ways um that you're not even aware of you know like when I when my daughter got sick I had to come I had to come to terms with my own um you know body dissatisfaction and you know I said to her and when she was sick when she got sick when she was hospitalized I was doing friggin' triathlons right and um I said to her you know I need you to be really honest with me and tell me what are things that I do or don't do that trigger you Mm. and she said well you know mom when you go on those four hour long bike rides that's a little excessive don't you getting it right back eh? <laughs> yeah uh which is you know it's true although you know as a person who likes to cycle I could defend that because when you're riding a bike you're really only working hard when you go uphill and you're only yeah. going uphill a quarter of the time so four hours yeah. seems like a lot it's like oh I don't go for four hours so I can escape from you <laughs> but <laughs> <laughs> um 
but just uh you know i've heard a lot of situations where dads can be particularly um uh, problematic in that way um with with daughters um and you know that's a hard thing to crack a hard code to crack when that's going on in your family dynamic right. um but just to be aware that yeah, you know, your kids are watching everything you say and do and put in your mouth and Oh, you think that they don't know or they don't hear it and they're right they're hearing it all. They're feeling it all. They're picking yeah. it up for sure. And they're making meaning of it within their own context. So for my right. daughter, right, she's looking at it through the lens of a brain that's neuro, you know, diverse, that's got the anorexia, you know, tendencies. Yeah. They blame themselves. They think that they're the source of the problems. A lot of kids, they feel like they're, they're well, yeah. I I just want to thank you so much for your time. Um, uh, I think you're an amazing person, your daughter, and thank you for what you're doing for families out there to help them along. And um, I'd love to get any information I can from you to post so um, uh, people can have some resources to go through. And then, and then Marie, thank you for inviting us into your your family and and um letting us know and sharing i can't imagine this has been an easy ride for you and uh, you're a, a wonderful person and we are both so grateful that you've you've allowed this um interview to happen thank you very much well, thank you. Thank you for your kind words. Um, it doesn't feel that way to me. It feels like this was my purpose and that I was meant to go through this and that I had the capacity to go through it. Mm. And many families don't, which right. is why FBT does not work. I was in the perfect situation. I had a paid leave of absence. I had a husband who supported me completely, utterly and totally. I had resources. I had family. I had it all. And it was still the fucking hardest thing I ever did in my life. Yeah. <laughs> so if you don't have those things, like one family I just talked to, they have food insecurity. How do you do FBT when you have food insecurity? How do you? I want to do, um, I'm going to focus on where we're going to focus on that treatment therapy so people know more about it and maybe the next episode so people can learn more about this uh, this therapy. The FBT, yeah, family-based treatment, yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I think we should cover that a bit. Okay, yeah. uh, it's just uh, amazing. Thank you. <laughs> this is just. Been You're welcome, great. and good luck with the rest of the series. Uh, Thank you. It's a big, big topic, and it is. So I hope you listen to it. it if you listen to it. Kick my ass if I'm saying something wrong. <laughs> kick our butts. Yeah, yeah. Okay, we can do that because. Um, I know there's another podcast I listen to and, and she says, oh, I have my therapist listen to make sure there's nothing, you know, triggering or inaccurate in this stuff. Yeah. And, yeah. That's and so biggest then nightmare that, is that in talking about mental health or medicine in general, if I say something, I try to make it clear, like, look at, I'm not giving advice here. All I can do is maybe help direct or guide to some areas but that's my nightmare is that and it was the same when when I was nursing actively nursing what if I say something that's inaccurate and then someone runs like I, I can only imagine 
Well, you know, and I was tempted to say when you talked about that doctor, that woman who had an eating disorder and she became a nutrition specialist. Yes. Um, I was going to say it. I don't think I didn't want to say it at that point in time, but she's likely still ill if she's that focused on food. And they oh. say that 30% of chefs have, have uh, eating disorders because they're obsessed with food. And many, many, many people go into nutrition because they're obsessed with food. And yeah, it's not a healthy scene at all. Interesting. I never thought of it from that direction. Uh, uh, I know. I know. It's crazy. It's a crazy disease. It's crazy. Hey, you're just My daughter wanted to in a million directions today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. I know. Well, Holy smokes. God bless both of you and your husband. And yes. uh, thank you again so much. Thank you. Thank you, you for what care. you're doing and, and I hope all the, the help you days okay. Yeah. I hope we haven't. It's grand. I'm retired and it's nine degrees <laughs> in Halifax on December 1st. So there you go. <laughs> Take care. Bye. Be well. Take care. If you were here, I'd feed you. Oh, <laughs> and we would eat. And we, and we would definitely eat. There would be no problem. No okay, problem. when you come here, we'll feed you. Okay, okay. sounds good. Because you'll come and visit Laura. Both ways. This is on tape, so we can yeah. play this back. <laughs> I'm gonna, I'm gonna get Laura okay. in on this too. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Are you in PEI? No, I'm in Halifax. Okay, okay. we'll have to meet a find a meeting, a meeting ground, a meeting ground. Well, you come to Halifax. You need to come here. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, we're gonna hold yeah. you to it. I'm right. serious. Yeah. I love it out there so much. Yeah. It's been a while. We'll show up at your door and you'll be like, what? who the hell are you two? We're well, like, we're here for riddles. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Yeah. High fat, high high density, nutritious food. Yeah. Sounds amazing. We'll be looking <laughs> yeah. for the avocados. Yeah, avocados. <laughs> Make us some. Oh yeah. <laughs> See now I want to go. I want to have some guac or something. Do you have any avocados? No. Okay, we'll have to get some. <laughs> yeah. Okay, my dear. Thank you so much. All right. Take All right. care. Take care. Bye. 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 Well, there you have it. Part two. And um, I don't usually like to speak for Kay's, but I think I can. She blew us away. Oh yeah. I mean, we we've had quite a few discussions since the interview. Just talking about what she told us about what she taught us about and I just feel so much um, more educated on this subject than I could ever have known or hoped for you can't question a mother's love seriously the journey she went on with her daughter was just I'm I'm at a loss for words I I have great admiration she's very humble um have I learned a lot? Yes. And I'm looking forward to covering all um, the additional eating disorders that we're going to be covering because uh, there's so much to learn. I, I, I like when you say um, you look forward to talking about these subjects. And on like on the surface, it sounds like, why are you excited about talking about that? And I think when you say that, you're speaking for both of us, it's, it's this learning journey that we're going on. Yeah. It's about, okay, what am I going to learn? I'm excited about learning something new. And how can I, or how can we pass this information on to others or um, help educate others with it? So, and definitely we were schooled. We were schooled. <laughs> in a, in a oh, good yeah. way. Yeah. So thank you guys for, for listening. Um, and 
if you have any further questions that maybe we can forward to Anne Marie and see if uh, I don't want to put her on the spot so we can maybe forward or, or let's start a discussion on the Facebook page and uh, talk more about this if, if need be right. or if you have any further questions. Right. Do we want to talk about our next um, episode case? We're going to discuss bulimia and ARFID. Avoidance Restriction Food Intake Disorder. And it's uh, relatively new in terms of being a diagnosable or diagnosed eating disorder. So there's a lot for both of us to learn mm-hmm. and to discuss. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe you guys are more versed on that than us, but uh, we're going to do our best to, to share this information. Absolutely. If you want, join our Facebook group where we can have more discussions about this and just check in and uh, see how everybody's doing and uh, have some fun inspiration you name it if you want to get in touch with us via email you can reach us at stable and able pod at gmail.com and with that being said thank you for listening to the odd the, the oddcast the oddcast that's not too far from the truth <laughs> it's the oddcast with us and uh just remember to take care of yourself take care of each other love let's, each other and most importantly love yourself let's take the path of healing together Peace, one love, one, four, three.